Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, uh, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. Thank you for listening. Um, we are going to keep this brief because today's podcast is really long and really awesome. Uh, today in the podcast, we have Jake Bellows from Neva DeNova. He also has a new solo record on Saddle Creek called uh, New Ocean. And I've been a huge fan of him for years. And we had a very existential. Did I say that right? <laughs> Uh, it's been a lot. I drank like a lot of Stumptown coffee and I feel like... Your tongue is, is moving faster than your brain. Yes. But we talked about, about his music, but also sort of about like the nature of reality and the fabric of time and the multiverse and a lot of interesting concepts that uh, I feel like are why I wanted to start doing a podcast like this in the first place. And he uh, brought his dog. And he brought his dog, Dragon, who... Uh, is really skinny. Really skinny. <laughs> yes. He's a hound dog. Uh, and he was very well behaved during this podcast. He laid there on the floor, lied there, lay there. Whatever you want. And uh, he was very well behaved. And Jake, um, if he comes to your town, you should check him out because he's a super interesting guy. Uh, he's His record is incredible. And uh, he's talking about a lot of interesting ideas that I feel like you don't, you don't hear about that much, especially in kind of music or indie rock. So... Uh, yeah, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Bellows. It's going Ladies and gentlemen, today on Going Off Track, we are joined by Jake Bellows, who you may know from Neva DeNova or his solo career. Um, how's it going, Jake? It's great, Jonah. <laughs> it's good to see you in it's the good flesh. Good to see you too. I feel like I'm like your super fan stalker in New York. I didn't. I never <laughs> thought of you that way. <laughs> good. Glad to hear. But yeah, I'm used to always seeing you in Nova when you guys played at Mercury. Yeah, man. And uh, it seems like it's been a while since you've been through here. It's been at least five years. Yeah. I think. I mean, because there are friends out here that I haven't seen in five years. You know. Most of them actually have, a lot of them have moved away or moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Not from you, I mean, from life, moved on. Gotcha. Next generation. Um, yeah, man, it has been, it has been a while. How's it feel to be back here touring with, with Dragon in a, what are you driving in? Well, I had a catastrophic breakdown in that 71 Datsun pickup. And so that happened in New Mexico. 
timing chain difficulties. Then after I got it put back together, I found out I lost a valve. It doesn't matter. That's technical stuff. But uh, so my brother conspired. He's like, man, I socked away a couple bucks. He's like, let's see if we can buy a car that will drive this trip. And then if we want to sell it when the trip's over, that's fine. So I'm rolling in a pearlescent white 1998 Cadillac DeVille. It is hilarious and awesome. Are you by yourself? <laughs> me, and, me and Dragon and the robot, Oscar. That's nice. it. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I got air conditioning. I got a tape player. Stereo sounds good in there. I only have two tapes, so... What do you got? They were both given to me in Omaha. I got... Uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion, a live version of the Depeche Mode album. And then I've got some guy named like Chris Bell or something. I don't know, but it's not. Um, Is that the dude who was in um, Big Star? Not Big Star. Uh, I think I know who this. He was in like a pretty big band. I didn't. He didn't give me any context when he handed off this tape. So I like I've listened to it. And seems like he's like doing acoustic music, and, yeah. and he's a good player, and the recording quality is phenomenal. Yeah, I think that's like I think he only did one record, and then he died or something. Hmm. I, he, there's a pretty interesting story with him, but yeah, that rec- I totally know know what you're talking about. I think it's it's something like, like that or something. Yeah, my friend Doug said this is gonna blow your mind. Yeah, it's a cool record. Yeah, I haven't actually gotten all the way through that one because I picked up a, uh, <laughs> I picked up one of those tape adapters. Okay, so I've been running some iPod too. Nice as well. So is this the first time you've been on the East Coast as kind of doing solo stuff? Yeah. Well, one time, Tim and I, Tim Hayes and I, did a, yeah, a duo. You know, we toured with Rilo Kylie. They were kind of doing an unplugged kind of thing. And uh, so we did that. We got broken into in Williamsburg. They yanked a couple of amps and a guitar and busted our window out. And it was like 20 below zero. We were driving up doing all like the rich girls schools on the coast, you know, like, I don't know. What are they? What are some of them? Like Wesleyan? Yeah, yeah. we did did that one. We did. I mean, we did all of them. It seemed like. Yeah. And we had, I think, I think we also... Do we have Tilly in the wall with us? These might have been... I might be getting some stuff mixed up. It's fine, man. No one's fact-checking this. You can say whatever you want. At that time, I feel like... If I wasn't drunk, then I was hungover, you know? Yeah. Those days are those days are a little different now. Yeah. Like right now, I'm not either. <laughs> Still early. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. So, um, New Ocean is your newest record, and... I was, like, so obsessed with it. It's so incredible. Man, I'm thrilled to hear that. And I remember, like, I would go to your website every couple of years, and, like, I remember you were selling, like, live stuff, and then, like, I remember for a while the site, like, just didn't work, and it was, like, very mm. frustrating, like, being a fan, because I was like, what is Jake up to? And then all of a sudden, it got announced, and uh, so cool, Saddle Creek put it out. And could you talk a little bit about maybe, like, what had you been doing up until then? Because I feel like... The last name of Nova record was great. I remember seeing you guys at like South by Southwest and stuff, and then it didn't hear from you guys for so long. Like, what was going on with your life? Well, I mean, I think that the reason for like the 
like the hiatus wasn't necessarily me. You know, I don't think I would have, I would probably never would have stopped playing for that time. Uh, except the guys, I mean, we lost a bunch of money. That was when like the economy got so weird, like yeah. 2008, 2009, like being on the road during that time, everybody was scared to go spend frivolous monies at shows and stuff. And so and you- people, people weren't coming out and, you know, it just got real tough, and so I think that we did like almost we did nine months or something that year of touring, and when it was all said and done, I think between Heath's credit card and Tim's credit card and like somebody else, uh, like I can't remember, it wasn't Bo, Bo wasn't, but Heath and Tim's credit card. Basically, we had kind of like a band agreement that we would the band would pay back those things. We were like fifteen grand deep. Wow. $15,000 deep, you know? So everybody's like, dude, we can't afford a tour. We get, we need to like sit around and work. And then as soon as it turned into like sit around and work time, I and mean, we always work jobs anyway, but then everybody started like boning a ton and getting a girl's pregnant and getting right. married. And, and those things are important. And it just changed the dynamic then of what we were doing. It's like those, those take over, um, on the on the hierarchy of priorities, you know, like that's more important. So, so then it was no longer really an option to take off for weeks or months at a time. And so I just started working. I was delivering sandwiches for Jimmy John's, shooting pool, drinking tequila, and years started to go by. You know, didn't even notice. Just time started going past. And I did a... I was going to do... I did like a acoustic recording of some... Because... Uh, uh, um, what was the name of the... Sideshow uh, Records wanted to put out an acoustic recording of some of the old songs and stuff. And so I recorded them. And then um, there was some kind of misunderstanding between um it wasn't bad but it was like a misunderstanding between them and saddle creek as to like they were like well we kind of would like to put that out and but then when it came down to it they didn't want to put it out and so it kind of aced that deal and then nothing happened so there were still things going on and uh but we didn't i didn't release anything and Wrote a song for a movie, that lovely still, that Fackler's movie. Did you ever see that yeah. one? It's a good movie. I'll check it out. And so we wrote a, like a Christmas song. Super depressing when it ended up, sadly. <laughs> it's not so surprising. <laughs> no, I guess not. But <laughs> at that time, it was a pretty dark period in general. Um, but anyway, so then you remember when Obama, well, sent out that check for 500 bucks? Yeah. Okay. Like all the poor people I know remember it really well, and nobody else. Like you talk to anybody else, they're just like, "Obama sent you a check for five hundred dollars." Like it's like, well, anyway, a certain demographic knows what I'm talking about. And yes. so when I got that, I was like, "Man, I'm gonna try something else. I could burn, you know, I could burn twenty years just doing what I'm doing right now." And I love Omaha and all my friends and family, but I decided to, um. Head west, give it a try. With I had a couple friends in Los Angeles, and um, I just wanted to give life a try in another place. And uh, I had a she wasn't my girlfriend at the time, but we had been girlfriends before. 
And it was kind of like if we were ever going to give it a legit shot, we'd have to be in the same spot. Okay. So I was like, well. So I loaded up my Dragon and my uh, guitar and my computer and a, my brother's 72 Beetle. And he drove that, and I drove the motorcycle out to L.A. And we just bombed out there. That's amazing. And then you did some stuff with Whispertown also? Mm-hmm. Is that... And that's that's the girl I'm talking about. Okay, gotcha. And um, I did uh, help do some recordings, and I had helped do uh, "Living in the Dream" recording a little bit. I helped um, mix it. I guess Morgan and I mixed it kind of together. Um, but I, ha- I guess I had a little more experience with the machines than she did, so I just kind of helped. But we mixed it like on some like when we were talking about speakers earlier. We mixed it on like some bookshelf speakers that were actually inside of a bookshelf. So it was like super bassy. We were like, wow, this sounds awesome. And then we play it back in the car and it was just like the trebliest, most <laughs> terrible. It's like, man, we missed, missed that. We mixed that record like 10 times in a row. That's amazing. And it was grueling. Sounds like it. But yeah, then I played some with her too. She's did, done some touring and I played guitar and sang some harmonies with her. I think she's really talented. She's got a new record that they are finishing mixing. She recorded with Nick Freitas. Oh, wow. And they're finishing mixing. He did a lot of the playing, too. He's a super talented, like, player of all instruments, you know, just like a musician's musician. Anyway. So when did you start writing the songs for New Ocean? Was that when you were out there? Like, as soon as you got out? Or was it sporadic? Well... There were a lot of songs. I was still writing songs. Um, I was still making songs. I know I don't really sit down and be like, like, like I'm gonna make a pizza. I'm hungry. I'm gonna make a pizza. Like I want to listen to some music. I'm gonna make some songs or something. It mostly just kind of pops up whenever. And so I had a bunch of songs, and a ton of those songs didn't make it to this recording. I kind of went through. And it seemed like there were themes involved with different kinds of themes involved with different varieties of songs that I had written. And I kind of picked out 18 that were kind of in the same world. That seemed like they shared a worldview or something. And so we recorded those. And then I think 10 of them or 11 of them put on the record. Yeah. It was a quick recording. Like, we went into the studio and just, like, we had a bunch of cool dudes in there, and nobody knew the songs. They, out of, I gave them 30, 32 songs to choose from. I said, choose your favorite 10, everybody. Um, there were five guys, choose their favorite 10. And so that I wanted to record the overlapping, the most overlapping ones, right? Because I figured I don't trust what I think is good, um, is maybe boring to you. Was there a consensus or did like everyone pick something totally different? Well, because there were five people and there were 30 yeah. some songs, it, like really it was a surprise. There was, there was 10 that overlapped real solid. There okay. was really 15 that overlapped. And so we chose those 15 and then of course the three that I was certain were going to make it didn't. And so I <laughs> recorded those anyway. So we recorded 18 total. And then there were a couple songs that were on that EP right before, right? Yeah, the help tape. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, those had like, yeah, they, but some, yeah, some of them didn't really like match, like, I guess, 
there's a particular kind of feeling and like a perspective that I wanted to illustrate or I wanted the music to kind of help illustrate. And a lot of those songs didn't really feel um, like they did that, like that. Well, it doesn't matter. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just thinking of a real downer, like it's all working out for the worse, like that song. It's like, yeah, that's a terrible sentiment. Please stop. I mean, it's not any worse than the world's a shitty place. I can't wait to die. I know. It's not. You're right. And I can't, I won't play that anymore either. I try not. Well, yeah, because I just like think that, well, this is starting to get into a philosophical opinion, you know, but I think that it's kind of artists in general and thinkers in general, you know, like people who have the time and the luxury of time to consider what the world is like. Um, And, uh, you know, when they recognize something to be good or bad or whatever. I mean, songs like that one, World's a Shitty Place or whatever, um, it's okay in the sense that it illustrates a commonality of our human experience. Like everybody feels like they want to break god's nose once in a while or if there's a god you know like all these things that you're really just like sad and angry or like more like furious and but some people like when they get sad they get mad um because they're uncomfortable with their emotions i think maybe to some degree a lot of people are like that um but anyway it just feels like a dark touch man you know you're putting that out there people are identifying with it and then it's like this uh, mantra at the end, world's a shitty place, I can't wait to die. It's kind of fun to sing along to. You get all these people singing along. I was like, do I want anything to do with that? Not now. Not anymore. I believe in humans and I, I want us to like evolve to be something more awesome and better to one another. And I think that that song and a handful of others that I've made we're kind of like mistakes. I mean, it's like you make mistakes and you learn. They're mistakes to me. You know what I mean? This is my perspective. But it's weird because I feel like I totally get that and agree. But as like a listener, like song like that or like the Blackest Heart or whatever, like it's like kind of like strangely reassuring. Like sometimes you're in just like that kind of a mood and to kind of hear someone else who kind of relates to you, sometimes you feel like you're the only person in the world that feels that way and everyone else has their shit together and is optimistic. Right. So there's something reassuring about hearing someone kind of articulate that in such like a bleak way. I know, and I recognize that. I, I think, I know that's true, and that's what I mean where it illustrates, when I say commonality of our human experience, it's like, this is, I was talking to some, uh, some like philosophy major, like college college youngsters you know the uh the day i got caught up at a party and they're just like and they were saying that all things were subjective and that uh you know there is no objective truth essentially you know and that uh we have nothing really in common because of that and i was just like no we we absolutely i I believe in truth and here's what i think and he's like well name one thing you know it became this like weird debate i didn't want a debate i just like I, i have a belief you know and they can have theirs, but they're practicing, you know, they're exercising their uh, logic and reasoning skills. But I said that, that I think that the, the thing that all humans have in common is their, you know, if you if there's a scale from one to ten, 
your tin of pain, your tin of suffering is, that's common to all people, you know. No matter what it is, you know what the most pain is that is on your scale. And so it's like, that is, that is the, a common thread. So we understand that. And that's why I think that, you know, songs like that are, are all right for that, you know, for illustrating that we have this common experience that as humans we are far more the same than we are different. This like cultural embrace of individuality and divisiveness, you know, like people think, I mean, we've thought of so many different ways that we're different now, you know, like people are always asking, I mean, people, not always, but when they ask you like, Hey, what nationality are you? What, what's your, uh, what's that? What name is, uh, you know, what's bellows? Is that, what is it? Oh, geez. What a dick. <laughs> Sorry. It's my mom. It's fine, man. It's not, it's not mother's day though. So she's going to have to wait. <laughs> Just missed it. Sorry, lady. <laughs> no, I I love her. I don't, I'm not going to talk to her now. But anyway, uh, was I talking about something? Uh, divide how people are different. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so we find all these different ways. You know, yeah, you got your your race stuff or something. And then you've got your disparity of wealth. You know, like did you grow up wealthy or poor? Did you get an education? Nice school, good neighborhood, this side of town, that side of town, this state, that state, what country, what language? You know what I mean? Like, what religion? Obviously, I mean these are all ways that we're dividing. You know, we're dividing more and more and more categories of, you know, like are you a Gmail guy? You a Yahoo guy? Right. You know, like how many different ways can we possibly? Do you like Logic? Do you like Pro Tools? How many possible ways can we divide ourselves? And that's what we do. We constantly are doing this. And I think that it's destructive to humanity. You know, I feel like our us at our most effective is like um, kind of like bees or something. Like we're like all working together, um, using all the information. I mean, if you could like, and I'm not one about one for the singularity, you know what I mean? Like I'm not into that idea. I think that we can do these kinds of things uh through communicating, I also kind of believe that telepathy is going to be like the wave of the future. What if it was true that we could just like read each other's minds? Now, yes, there are things that you would want to hide from me and I would want to hide from you, but what if it wasn't possible anymore? And then we realized how similar we are, all the dark, weird secrets and shit. And then now we're just like the same. We're just like two weirdos. Now, all of a sudden, there is no weirdo. Well, that's definitely is where technology is going, is like the erosion of privacy. And not in like a creepy NSA way, but in a case where it's going to just be transparency. Everything's going to be recorded and documented. Yeah, they feel like avatars to yeah. me. And so, to me, that's not even, that's not even, pri- because it's not sincere. It's, it's not sincere, you know what I mean? So, there's like a put on. It's like a fake. Although, yes, they're into your privacy for sure, you know, like the, the, they're attempting to learn all this information about you, but mostly what you learned like through these social networks and all these different things is uh what somebody would like you to see now what they want you to see when they look at you look at them you know right like uh you know i might draw in a little extra hair maybe a couple inches taller you know bigger you know dick or you know whatever it is it's like um I just don't think it's sincere, and I think sincerity is like a really powerful tool to to communication. You know, it's like 
you can kind of sense what somebody's talking about. Even like right now, I'm I'm rambling. I'm like an idiot, but I feel like you know what I'm talking about because I mean it. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you brought Mother's Day because I'm curious how you kind of just listen to your music, like how you battle cynicism. Because like I feel like Mother's Day happens, and my immediate first response is holiday created to sell stuff. Why do I need it? You know, and everyone's like, this is me and my mom. And I'm like, why do you need to post this in a public thing? Like this thing is just like a society telling you to spend money. And then part of me is like, no, it's just like, I love my mom. Like it's nothing against her, but I feel like my first place I go is automatically this. Mm. Ugh, like this is, I'm not even above this, but this thing is this construct or like something. Like a trick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, about these avatars, you know, right. these people are just like creating. It's like, what do I want the people who I think are cool to think about me? What do I want them to think about me? You know, like, uh, you know, fashion is kind of like that, too. Totally. And um, I read an article the other day about these, you know, like these, and this is not, I guess, about the holiday of Mother's Day necessarily, but essentially social capital. Have you heard this term thrown around? No. Social capital. It's like what advertised, advertising researchers have discovered that that is the thing that is most important about these social networks is social capital. How many likes, how many, all these things, how many people see your stuff? You know what I mean? How, how many, like whatever, and they call it, they've, they've coined a term, social capital, you know. And um, so it's like reverting. It's like a high school, you know, popularity contest, but you are drawing yourself in, you know. That's all. I mean, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. And so they are working on tricking people into thinking they have a ton of social capital so they can give up more and more information so that they can sell them more and more stuff that they think will gain them more social capital. Wow, that is mind-blowing. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I mean, like, that's what they're doing. They're like, okay, we figured out exactly what it is that these guys want. This is like a drug to the, drug to the people. It's social capital. And um, now we're going to trick them into thinking that we can give it to them. Well, I think that figures into your career, too, like all the avatar or like the fashion and image, because I feel like with Niva Denova and with you, it is there is a sincerity, but it's you dressed how you normally dress, getting on stage, playing songs. I picked out a fancy outfit for this tour. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. I told Morgan, I was like, I want to look like a uh, either a Wild West banker <laughs> or uh, what was the other? A 1920s stockbroker. Nice. Um, for fun. Yeah. You know, I also built a robot for fun, but really like this whole tour, um, and really the, the thing that I've been doing since I'm, I don't have a band is like, I've been having conversations, you know, the music is a conversation. It's not a performance anymore. It's not like, you know, it's like there are questions asked. Um, there's like a give and take, you know? Some of it is the audience applauding. Some of it is the audience talking back to me. I've been asking questions like, what what do you believe art is for? You know, I think that it's been appropriated by capitalism and commodified in a way that, you know, bars only have bands play because they bring people in to sell drinks. I mean, 
so bands are just an advertisement, you know, they're just a, like what, what's most effective, you know, depending on the demographic, you know, and, and bands that are trying to make music and trying to get into play in a bar subconsciously are taking this into consideration when they're making their music and it is poisoning. They're like the canary in the coal mine. You know what I mean? They've got this seed of something genius and brilliant and at the very least their own voice. And then they find themselves, um, without even thinking about it, attempting to accommodate all of these other expectations that are really about commodifying and, uh, advertising for some other asshole totally that's why i love tim because i feel like a song like entertainer or something that good life song is all about like i feel like he's so self-aware and we'll just write about a song about that right it's like a caustic um uh, indictment of (laughs) his self which is totally so genius at you know he really is and he's a thinker too and you know that's the thing that when I was talking about the luxury of, of being an artist or having the time to consider that, you know, like not everybody has the time to consider these things and to like change their mind about something. People like make up their mind. They decide who they are and they're that forever rather than constantly, um, evolving or, you know, like being striving to be the best them they can be. That doesn't mean the best of anybody. It just means the best you. There's only one in that race. Right. <laughs> you know, you're going to win, but you might have a terrible time. You might have a good time. I don't know. Does it blow your mind, like, how fast time has gone by? Because I feel like that Saddle Creek explosion when the Bright Eyes Neva split originally came out, all that stuff, I feel like it was, like, two years ago or something. Me Do you too. feel that way? I, sometimes I wake up and I play... I recently played, I played in a band still, and a band we used to tour with came through, and the guy was like, oh, it's cool. I may have said this on the podcast before. What's your band called? It's called United Nations. It's like oh. a screamo. I want to hear that. Band. I'll play it for you after this. Yeah. But this guy was like, oh, it's cool. You're still playing. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, everyone's married now. Like, no one's really playing anymore. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I didn't notice Wow, that it. happened. Yeah. I was oh, like, sorry. I kind of kept doing the same thing with, like, small to medium levels of success nothing crazy and then all of a sudden it's like yeah everyone else did all this other stuff like when did they do this how did it happen how are their kids like can talk and walk around like i know well that is exactly what i'm talking about you know time time moves slower for us because of that luxury you know and it really is a luxury uh, although you know i couldn't say and wouldn't presume the value uh to to like try and pick and choose to teeter-totter the value of those two things i think they're both very important raising a kid if you got a kid is the most important thing you do and that's a way that you change the fabric of our world you know the ideas the the things you expose your child to um you know it's like whatever ripple in the pond you know that that thing that changes the rest of the course of uh uh, it's the potential of of a person, which is amazing. But, you know, that exists also in the arts through ideas. I mean, ideas take over the world now faster than they ever have in the past because of the nature of the interweb and <clears throat> radio, although radio has been pretty much homogenized to the point where it doesn't really spread ideas. It pretty much spreads advertisements. We but, podcasts. 
But podcasts, what a great invention that is. Totally. You know? Podcasts are cool, and I've been learning recently how much I've been missing out on as far as podcasts. I've had several、uh, recommended to me on this, on this drive, you know. So far, I've plopped 2,000 miles on that. You know, I mean, like, just on this car that I picked up, the Cadillac in Omaha. Um, not to mention the other thousand that I put on, or 1500 that I put on the Datsun. But as I go, you know, the thinking people that I'm running into, this is what is fueling a lot of their thoughts, our podcasts like this. I mean, thinking of thinking people, could you talk a little bit? I know we talked before about Nikolai Tesla, his influence on New Ocean. And then I was、yeah. listening to the people skiing the way over here, and, you know, On that record, they, that, I don't know who it is, the guy who gives the samples, but he's talking about Tesla, the idea the universe is expanding, all that stuff. I mean, is that,、yeah. how does that maybe figure into the record or your songwriting? Because I think those kind of interest, ideas are so interesting and aren't what most people kind of write about. Yeah. <clears throat> well, they figure in kind of like, they figure into a worldview. And I, tr- I, wanted, I wanted to. I'm not the best at this, you know, I'm still practicing and working on it, but I wanted to try and represent those ideas with the record some. And、uh, so I learned a few things in the time off. I started studying because I didn't know why I was making music. You know, it used to be good enough. I said I was compelled to make music. That used to be good enough. And then it was no longer good enough. I was just like, well, that sounds like some selfish BS, bud, you know? What it's all about you, man. What, maybe you just love being a, on the stage. You like to be under the lights. You're amazing. Really grossed me out to、um, think of it that way because that's not how I think of it. And,、uh, but I was like, but what indeed is it? And I couldn't put my finger on it. So I started studying some other stuff, starting with, starting with science. And I have a couple. Good friends in、um, Los Angeles, but one of them just moved to Portland. But these guys are engineers, but with like truly spectacular minds. You know, I stumble into interesting things, but they already know the science, you know. So I mention it to them, and then they kind of confirm or deny whether or not this phenomenon is, is the case. And it was really cool to talk to them about because I discovered that light and sound are the, made of the same thing. Um, at different frequencies. That's it. They're the same stuff, right? So, I mean, so it makes sense then that, you know, there are harmonics in sound, of course, you know, it makes sense that some things, you know, and then there are, and, and in light,、um, you have the color wheel, which basically represents the same exact thing. Same harm, there are harmonics, colors that you mix together that do this certain thing, you know, but there is no like 440A in light, you know? I mean, there is, but we don't recognize it. You know, people just paint and they really like mix in a super analog way as far as mixing colors together, which is awesome. But when I discovered that those are the same thing, and then also I recalled from the old days, like school, that all things that exist vibrate at a particular frequency, a very specific and unique frequency unto itself. That was like, okay. All things that exist, the thought you're having right now, you know what I mean? Like the material that your eyeball is made out of, like all things. 
have this unique signature of their, um, that nothing is solid. Essentially everything is vibrating. If it's solid, it's vibrating very slowly. This kind of thing. It's like, so that to me meant that frequency is basically the language that the universe is written in. It is the fabric of the universe. All things include these, you know, things that are intangible, you know, they're radio waves, thought, you know, I mean, like alpha waves from the brain are measurable from a distance as far as the moon, like by us. I mean, but they just continue to go out. A thought you're having right now, you know, it's emanating from your spot like a stone dropped in water, you know? It's like um, music, painting. These are all putting order to frequency. They're all this creative process that I think that maybe we've almost forgotten or maybe we never knew. But what if... Oh, and then I was also studying um, Joseph Campbell, like um, Hero with Thousand Faces, and uh, there's another one, uh, but they're, they're mythology books. And he was, he was a genius who, maybe I throw around that term too much, but I don't think so, man. He was truly like, uh, he had this unique perspective. He studied mythology and theology, and I mean, what is mythology but theology from a person who you don't believe in their religion? <laughs> right. You know? Totally. So it's the same stuff, whatever. So he studies this, and he began, after becoming so familiar with all the different mythologies and stuff that he was studying, he began to see parallels, like like um, absolute parallels between all of these stories, you know, from around the world, from uh, indigenous tribes that never had anything to do with one another, you know? And so when he's talking about Hero with a Thousand Faces... He's talking about superimposing yourself into these stories, these mythologies, whatever. But the thing that blew my mind and I thought was really interesting is that every time they talked about in these myths, every time they talked about the genesis of the universe, you know, they all have a genesis story. Like what, what was the beginning of time? What was the beginning of, of life or whatever, um, or of the world or the universe? And it always had either the creator of whatever varieties made a sound, said a word or, um, or made light or, you know what I mean? It was always, the impetus was a frequency, was a vibration. Boom. What is it? You know, like that was the beginning of, and then I thought it was kind of funny, not hilarious, but nerdy funny that in our Western understanding of science, that, our beginning of the universe is on an onomatopoeia, you know, the big bang, which is obviously all also a sound. It's like even subconsciously, we can't, we distance ourselves so far, like our, our uh, science from religion, but, and then accidentally <laughs> use the same exact description of yeah. the beginning of the universe. What do you think of the concept of the multiverse, the idea that there are kind of infinite parallel universes? Um, well, the way I understand it, and I have a limited understanding of it, but I think of it, I think of it as an, an analogy. Uh, I use an analogy to describe it to my own brain. And so, let's imagine, um, as musicians, we'll use we'll use that as our language. Let's imagine the four forty A. Right now, instead of tuning to a four forty A, let's say we tune to a four thirty two. Call that A. You know. It still is. It still is A, but it's 432. But of course, 
in between 440 and 432 are these infinite amounts of variables. Now, from any one of those points, the same harmonics are absolutely true and absolutely work together. I feel like that is the best way for me to understand. I'd say that it's absolutely so that there are infinite, you know, infinite ways that you can like then uh, work within. Um, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think so, that's a really good way to describe it, actually. So it's like you can't, you can't, it, it can't not be true because of that fact. You know what I mean? Like, so there could still be static, but that static, that very frequency, if you call that a note and now you start working with harmonics of that, you're, working, you're looking at the same world. You know, different flavor, but same world, same shit. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's exciting to me. And like, um, I've been working with those in, uh, I've been making, uh, I picked up a synthesizer. So trying to work with some raw materials to build, uh, <laughs> working with raw materials. That's something I got from Doug Kepsel. <laughs> Do you know that dude? I don't. Oh my God. He's cool. He used to live out here in New York. He was the one who saved us when we got our van broken into, and it was so cold. We went over to his house, and we didn't know him. Somebody referred us to there, like, go see Doug. I'm like, oh, my God. We drove over there freezing, parked the van. We go inside. We're like, hey, you know, we're like the bums who are totally screwed and have to drive to uh, whatever, Dartmouth College today or something. And uh, he's like, okay, hang on, guys. And he reaches under his sink. And he pulls out a bottle of Jameson and sets it on the kitchen, tiny kitchen table. We're like, wow, great idea. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. So he sets out two shot glasses. And then he reaches underneath some other, uh, like behind a plant. And he pulls out a bong, (laughs) sets it up there. And he's just like, sorts it all out. And then he's like, I'm going to build you something out of raw materials. (laughs) So he made us a window. We took measurements and he made a window out of masonite. That was it. We were sorted. It's totally awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, he was our hero. And we've stayed friends to this day. He lives in Milwaukee now. I'm going to go see him on my way back. So would you? do you think that maybe more, more, I guess, marijuana than alcohol? I mean, do you think that those encourage your... Because it seems like, like alcohol and stuff has had such a big influence on your songwriting over the years, writing songs about it or maybe using it. I mean, do you think that can be a window into creativity or experience or do you feel like it's a detrimental thing or does it just kind of depend? I think it kind of depends. You know, I don't... Okay. So I've been um, considering the... What is etymology? Is that the words? I think... Entomology is bugs. I'm not sure. That sounds right, but I'm... Okay, well, let's... I feel like... Let me just say that I'm an ignorant fool. Me too. I feel like we are the same level. I feel like I can sort of almost grasp these concepts, and then I'm like, brain's like, eh. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we had a dictionary in here, we'd find out, but it doesn't matter. Everybody's got a dictionary these days. But um, trying to understand that question, kind of, because I stopped drinking for a while... I drink again now, but it's definitely not a focus of my life at all, you know? But I stopped and played some shows and stuff, but there was something about, why do you think they call alcohol spirits? 
Why do you think that that term, getting in the spirit of an occasion, why do you think that that exists? There's something about that in my mind. Um, I drew some parallel between like, it's kind of like getting on the same team with your audience, you know? Like, I think the whole performance aspect of, of music and you know, an art show or all these different ballet, you know, like the whole performance thing where it's like some people sit on this side of the stage and stare and judge and other people sit on the other side of the stage and try to impress or, you know, like, like that's like missing the boat a little bit. And I think that something about the spirit of the occasion and the the idea that they called uh, alcohol spirits and they still kind of do sometimes. Nobody really does, but, but I'm thinking about it. I think there's something about that like kind of like levels our playing field and puts us kind of in the same like gives us a context for a thing to take place and maybe one that um maybe it dumbs the whole thing down a touch or maybe it you know what I mean like it's or brings us all I don't know exactly the spirit of the occasion there's something to it and I don't know what it is I'm not saying that it's important um but I found that I can be pretty awkward um, without it. So maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a, a filthy addict. <laughs> well, do you? Uh, no, I think that's interesting. I mean, do you ever think that? I feel like your commitment to your art maybe has come at a detriment of commercial success, and I mean that in the sense of like, like that song in the last Neva Denova record, where like. I feel like I was talking to someone about it and there's that whole verse where it sounds like it was recorded underwater. Yeah. Which I think is so cool, but I also feel like if someone's like, oh, we should play this on the radio, and that's like, well, I don't know. It like, goes this, underwater for a minute. <laughs> it goes underwater for a minute. People aren't going to know what's going on. But but to me, like I, me hearing that, I was like, this is such a cool idea. And it's such like, an, I've never heard anything like that before or after. But I feel like that is a true commitment to that thing. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that from you because that was important to me. There was a pretty serious divide between the record label's opinion and my opinion. And and the band was supportive. They wanted me to do whatever I wanted to do. I thought, I think that mix mixing a record is an instrument. And so that was part of the song. I, I like the idea of of being able to manipulate the setting in the context of the information you're receiving, which makes it, which puts you in the same world, you know, similar to the spirit of an occasion or whatever, it puts you in the same world. And that was important. And I also think that you're probably right. And so probably then was the record, uh, was Saddle Creek, they were probably right as well, that that made that song, um, harder to uh, appreciate for some folks or something, you know. Um, But you're asking for participation. The people that care will take the time. The people that don't, I'm not in the business, and I'm not in a business, (laughs) for one, but I'm not in the business of begging people for their attention and understanding um, I, I want to communicate, but that is a two-person or a multi-person job, you know? And so, 
I'm not going to pay somebody for it. You know what I mean? Like give them, it's like if critics wrote your record, you know what I mean? They say all these things that are wrong with it. It's like, so let's hear, let's hear. What would you do? It's like, um, they're collage, they're collagists. You know what I mean? They would put together all these little things that make music effective. They're like craftsmen and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's not exactly like, what does Daniel Johnson do? You know, what does that dude do? He like, despite himself, comes up with these brilliant things and then makes terrible recordings of them that are hard to listen to, that demand participation. I was reading this thing about, um, about reading um, and they were quoting some great authors about reading, them talking about reading. Most great authors were voracious readers as well. And they said that you had to be a great reader. You had to be a good audience, you know? Like every book had this genius quality to it, but you had to be a good reader. You had to be like a good... um, You had to suspend your disbelief. You had to like invest in the thing you had to be a part you're on the same team you know you had to take the brains that are inside of the book and put little pieces of those brains inside of your brain now you're living in their world you know you have the context of their existence and that is like having more and more perspectives which is like um amazing you know travel does that reading books does that listening to songs arts do that you know what if it were true that as we were making these arts and having these talks that we were actually manipulating the fabric of the universe that being a creative person meant something more than just like self-expression meant something more than just like uh yeah self-expression is the grossest description of art i can ever you know i it makes me want to spit it's not it's nobody's fault I'm not mad at anybody. There is something good, like I said, about the commonality of... Anyway, I'm just... Well, I'm kind I, of, I feel like but what you're saying, I feel like technology plays into that in such an interesting way because at one hand, it opens up all these possibilities of art to consume and books, but at the same time, there's this fucking thing buzzing in your pocket every two minutes <laughs> that's taking you out of it. Right, that's very true. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's it's a it's been I think it's been hurting us. I think it's hurting us. I think that um you know, not across the board, but I would say generally speaking, uh it's not ca- true in every case, but generally speaking, we are more shallow humans because of it. We're more self-absorbed. We're more needy of like responses i mean how do you feel when somebody waits a week to return your text or whatever you know what i mean we're like these um we're like getting more immature you know and also less less and less discipline you know like what do you spend what do you work on for two hours you know aside from your job whatever your job is i mean a job's just a way to turn time into tokens to turn tokens to food you know but 
What do you work on? So I started reading a book that was really hard, that is really hard for me. Don Quixote. If you, I mean, it's just, um, it's a heck of a book, but you know, it was written in like the 1500s by a Spaniard and then translated to like middle English. So the sentences are like a whole page long. And then the adjectives are after the nouns. So you're constantly flipping everything around in your head. So you have to jam a whole sentence in your head and then re like move all the words around in order to understand what it's saying. And so I've been working on it because I don't have any discipline. And I think that, you know, like I just got carried away, got us carried away with the technology and the phone stuff as anybody more so than a lot of people. Cause I've always liked keeping track of and keeping in touch with all of my friends. And now all of a sudden I can And I find myself, you know, I was on it all the time. So I developed a technique to try and uh, train in discipline. And it's reading that book. And how's it going? It's going good. It's going really well because uh, all of a sudden now it's easier. It gets easier and easier. It's like I read it, it hurts me. You know, I'm like one page, two page. Okay, now a chapter is fine. Now a couple chapters. But you know who was the inspiration for it was Nate Walcott. Really? Yeah. Because that dude sits down every single day or stands up, whatever, and plays that trumpet. Because there's a muscle, you know, in trumpet players' mouths that you can't rest it or you lose your tone. And he does it every day and I just like that's an inspiration to me and there are a lot of people who have that kind of discipline it's an old school like classical discipline no matter how you use it I don't mean classical music necessarily but it's a classical discipline where you just work on it think about guys like Da Vinci all the drawings that are still left from this dude I mean he was doing it all the time designing stuff it wasn't even about drawing it was about trying to express ideas in the most clear way he could And so drawing became part of it, you know, like people, there have been a lot of amazing people and they had discipline and I would like to, I aspire to it. But at least I feel like being conscious of that is already such a huge kind of realization most people don't have or realize or especially like not to sound like cynical again but you know like a younger generation that that's so ingrained in like who they are and their identity Mm. I feel like they're not gonna be like well I should put this down and read what our infinite jest or whatever I mean like to me yeah well it's difficult for anybody yeah of any age to look at themselves and see some glaring flaws and then you know what I mean if you admit that they're there then you immediately your brain starts working on it and you start to want to you know, do better, I think. I mean, what is the point of of living, uh, of interacting with people, of sharing ideas? Are we not trying to get better? Like, are we, I want to see us treating one another better, you know? Uh, food and water, I mean, that stuff comes right out of the ground, yet we're battling, I mean, success doesn't even, like, okay, like, you think of, like, America, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, that was the American dream. That was the American dream. Now it is to have a business that makes so much money that you don't have to do any work. The more money you make, the less work you have to do. That's the dream. And it's not just the American dream. It's worldwide. You know, that encompasses everyone now. 
What kind of dream is that? That's the dumbest shit I ever heard. You know? Like the goal is to sit in a chair and have a bunch of slaves running around doing stuff? That is regression of evolution. That's not evolution. And it's always it, it's been blowing my mind, I guess, that, you know, things like we work, we give our time away, we're just consuming a bunch of crap, we're making all kinds of different craps, and, um, and then we get a piece of paper, we trade it in for papers and change. That don't even the, represent anything anymore. We made it all up anyway, right. but it never, I mean, what did it represent before? Shiny coins? Yeah, exactly. Who gives a damn? <laughs> what are we, idiots? We can't eat that. And... Then we trade it to somebody else who just pulled a fruit out of the ground or, or you know what I mean, shot a dog or, I mean, a deer. Sorry, dragon. <laughs> you sweet dude. But uh, we are absurdly infected with what we have pretended reality to be, you know? The reality is, is that food goes out of the ground and, and water is provided and that we could work together to build houses imagine the kind of free time we would have to think if we all worked that way together i mean grocery stores they talk about you know people love to say things like overpopulation is a problem man what we need is a good disease or something or you know i don't know what we're gonna do but we got all these people it's like yeah right so you're not one of them you're not the problem right you're not going to chop your head off. Let's make sure these poor people who are having way too much sex and way too many babies, let's make sure that they are the ones that limit their reproduction and whatever. And, um, but you got to think of every single grocery store in every single city, you know, in every state of this nation is throwing away a thousand pounds of food every single day. A thousand pounds of food every day. So we hoard it. If they don't have the money, they don't get it. You know what I mean? That is the essence of capitalism. That is the guy sitting at the top with all the money who does nothing. You know? That's BS, man. No way. But we're all uh, tricked by it. You know? We grow up with it. It's part of our foundation. We think it's real. And nobody was around when we made it up. So nobody believes it was made up. They think it's human nature. I've had people tell me that's human nature, man. It's like, no, bud. That's not human nature. You know, humans are better than that. I believe in them. I'm on team human. I want to see us do better. This is a little embarrassing right now. No, dude, this is totally blowing my mind. I don't even, I don't know. Um, I guess we should probably wrap it up. I guess like, how do you think we do better? We we read books, we, we get more in touch with our community, like, I feel like... Yeah, we talk to our, we talk to people, we are sincere, you know? You look at people in the face, you see them when you, when you talk with them, you know? You, um, you share your experiences, you talk about things that are important. You love their kids, you love them, you know? You help people when they need help, and it feels good because you are able to help. You know, like, uh, it's easy. It's what feels naturally right. The rest of this stuff is what fills us with rage. I mean, it's all the stuff that we made up. We just made it up. We can unmake it up. It's so easy. Um, 
You know, I've had some friends talk about, you know, like with the right to bear arms and stuff. And I studied Kung Fu for years and uh, really enjoyed it. And I loved, uh, well, I don't know if I'll pronounce his name right, but Morihai Yoshiba, he wrote The Art of Peace. I mean, that's pretty ballsy to write a rebuttal to The Art of War. You know what I mean? People have been talking about The Art of War forever. And he wrote in... 19 you know 19 whatever it was 60 or something he wrote the art of peace and he's an aikido he was the guy who invented aikido oh wow and he all he he's all about redirecting energy you know he's like the better you are at aikido the less you ever hurt anybody you know and um he's just a genius dude and you can see him in real footage on youtube you can look him up and you can just see how brilliant like what he does you know with energy he just moves it around, man. Some comes in trying to conk him on the head or whatever, and he just kind of like flips them, and then they go flying across the room, you know. Just, but I don't know why. What was I? Why was I saying that? You're saying we need to connect with people, tell stories. Um, yeah, yeah. Energy. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess I kind of lost my thread, but uh, he is really cool. Have you read The War of Art? No. It's a cool book. You should check it out. Another kind of, twist on that. Yeah, I'm glad that people are trying to like take away the power of the art of war. What to win? To win. You know, you know there is only a to win if you've chosen a side and no are no longer open to the truth. You know, uh, an argument even, you know? It's a, it's the essence of it. An argument as opposed to discussion. You know, if we could plug our brains in together and work on a problem, that's a discussion. And the goal is the truth. An argument is then just a mathematical battle of reason and or logic and whose brain is working quicker. It's a game of chess. There is no one that deserves, there is no truth at the end of a game of chess. There is only the one who, you know what I mean? Like, did a better job, had a better strategy, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't, none of that matters though. That doesn't make you good, you know? To kill somebody doesn't make you right. It's like um, discussions, you know? Arguments are for fools. It makes you sound like a fool, even when you're not. Anyway. Is this how most of your interviews are? I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Not everybody is is as receptive as you are to uh, these ideas, you know. A lot of people are just kind of punching a clock as well. And not to put anything uh, down uh, and stay focused on music, too. I remember a girl in Germany, she was just like, I listened to your record and, uh, you know... Uh, you say that these are about, uh, you know, the uh, frequency, about, uh, you know, manipulating the universe and stuff. And she's like, but uh, You and Me is a love song. I said, really? She's like, yeah. I said, well, I think to some degree, you know, everybody hears what they will hear, what speaks to them. I said, I, I wrote that song and I had um, uh, my grandpa. And when he died, I had him in mind. She's like, oh. I said, but it sounds like you might be in love. Wow, that was, uh, if you made it this far, 
I'm guessing your mind was completely blown apart because mine was. But, now, uh, what can we say to keep you here? Yeah, your mind. It's is almost blo- over. <laughs> You're probably piecing stuff back together. It's probably super bloody and messy <laughs> if your mind was blown apart. But uh, hopefully, your consciousness has been expanded, and uh, you will also check out Jake's record, New Ocean, because I feel like he, he touches on this stuff, but. Um, yeah, like he said, it's also love songs. It's also like a universal kind of thing, and uh, it's really cool. And uh, yeah, I hope you can come back again. Uh, and if you dug this, uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Going Off Track. Um, we're also available on Stitcher or uh, gongofftrack.com. You can donate, send us a message. Uh, send us good vibes. Send us good vibes. Yeah, in the spirit of this this episode, yeah, just leave a comment or just send us a positive vibe and maybe we will receive it in a, a moment of a moment of need. So, uh, thanks for listening and we will catch you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.